Welcome to the Mouthy IP Podcast, where we discuss infection prevention for the busy dental profession. The Mouthy IP Podcast is created by Nebraska ICAP, Infection Control Assessment and Promotion Program, and is funded by the Nebraska DHHS HAI team via a CDC grant. Each podcast features experts discussing current infection prevention topics and answers to questions asked by dental professionals from Nebraska. Welcome, everyone. It's the Mouthy IP. Today, we have Dr. Richard Hankins. We have Kate Tyner, Sarah Stream, Jody Skibold, and me, Dan. Welcome, everyone. You are not going to believe what we're going to talk about today. This has been in the news. It's been everywhere. Everybody wants to know about utility gloves, and we're here to provide you some information. Thank you, Dan, for that wonderful introduction. I'm sure everyone out there is very excited to talk about utility gloves today. I know I am. <laughs> um, so we wanted to get on um, to talk about utility gloves because we, as a team, go out into the community and um, are in facilities often. And the use of utility gloves is something that comes up when we're on site often. Um, so usually we either don't see any or there's maybe one pair hiding under the sink or in a drawer and nobody really likes to use them. So we are going to talk a little bit about why we need them. Um, some different options from the traditional utility gloves and a lot of other things. Can I ask the first question? Absolutely. So, gloves have been, there, there are a lot of types of gloves. In a dental facility, how many different types of gloves are there? Good question, Dan. It really, it will be facility specific, but like a normal general practice would have their um, probably non-latex exam gloves, and then utility gloves should have utility gloves for the sterilization process. So you might consider like on your exam gloves, you got short cuff gloves. Sometimes you need a longer cuff glove if you're going to have your hands in something wet. So, and then the other thing is if you're doing a sterile procedure, you would have sterile gloves as well. So lots of types. And if we're talking sterile gloves, Dan, multiple sizes. So gloves are a good thing. Yes. Gloves are a great thing. And with gloves, uh, all of those different types, are there different process steps for putting on and taking off gloves uh, based on the type of gloves and what you're trying to do. Absolutely. So with our normal exam gloves, you'll want to practice hand hygiene and then don your gloves while you're at your procedure area. And then once that procedure is over, you'll doff the gloves, practice hand hygiene again. Um, sterile gloves are a little bit more involved. I'll let Jody kind of talk about sterile gloves for a second. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, that's okay. There's all sorts of different kind of sterile gloves as far as the chemical makeup of those gloves. 
Um, most of them are non-latex. Um, we moved away from powdered gloves decades ago. Um, the context of sterile gloves is, you know, the packaging is completely different. They're packaged per pair, right and left hand. Um, unlike, unlike just regular exam gloves, which come in a box um, with, with sterile gloves, you know, you have to not only monitor, you know, environmental time and temperature, but they also have an expiration date too. So you have to pay attention to that. And um, putting those on, you create a sterile field and you don them. And the intent is, is basically what you're touching should be sterile, but gloves, no matter what, if they're sterile or non-sterile, the thing about it is, is, you know, we would like to think that they're hundred percent impervious, but they may have micro holes in them. So when you talk about hand hygiene, just because you wear gloves, sterile or not, you have to wear, you have to perform hand hygiene before and after. And so gloves, of course, they're, the, the reason they exist is for protection. Some gloves might be for uh, protecting the wearer. Some might be for protecting the patient, and some are for both. So in this instance, utility gloves. So What's utility the gloves. Um, the purpose of utility gloves. Utility gloves to start off with are, I like to think of them as like the the really long gloves that are puncture resistant to help protect you from sharp instruments. They kind of look like dishwasher gloves, like those big rubber gloves you can get at Walmart. Utility gloves, though, for healthcare purposes are a little bit more substantial. So they're actually made to be puncture resistant when you're handling sharp instruments. So they are protecting the wearer from an exposure, like a poke from an instrument while they're cleaning. Sarah, so as I was reading about using utility gloves uh, when we're doing sterilization and disinfection, um, fully understand utility gloves protect us from sharps. Um, what if I'm not anticipating on sterilizing or disinfecting sharp instruments? Um, you would at least need to have something that's chemically resistant. So like say you're doing decon, but it's not sharp instruments, your gloves and nitrile gloves, I think are the best example of exam gloves that also hold up to chemicals, right? And I think that's a reasonable in healthcare. I think that gets back to Jody's point of that's why we don't use the sandwich lunchroom lady gloves in healthcare is because they're really not rated for chemicals or ripping the way we would need in healthcare. So I think that's a good question. Further on that question, when we were studying for this episode, Jody mentioned Kevlar gloves. And so I'm doing a little sidebar reading here. <laughs> With like Kevlar gloves um, are not the same as utility gloves. Correct. Kevlar gloves are, are made of Kevlar. So when you think of like bulletproof vests for like... Um, police departments, you know, public, you know, or public officials that anything that related to needing to protect yourself. So when we talk about Kevlar use in the OR, there are Kevlar gloves that do come in different sizes and are sterile by the manufacturer. 
my experience with using Kevlar is when we were doing um, some bigger orthopedic bone procedures where, you know, you've got those big, um, any kind of drill, any kind of blade screws, you know, when I think of dental, you guys use everything that we do kind of an ortho just on a smaller scale. So the tips of screws, when you're screwing into bone, you know, those are sharp. So we talked about Kevlar gloves. There was a couple of surgeons that wanted us to wear Kevlar gloves. And then what we would do is wear our sterile gloves over it. Okay. The caveat to that is, is they're not puncture resistant in the context of your sterile gloves on the outside. It's the Kevlar. So if you had a hole in your glove, you may not receive a direct injury from a sharp, but if you have like a hangnail or something else like that, and you're not aware of that hole, you still could be exposed to that bodily fluid. Now that's not to say that that can't happen with utility gloves. It's just utility gloves, that outer impervious layer is sealed to the inside material. So you're not having two different layers. Um, but yeah, I've, I've often wondered, and it kind of dawned on me one day, I'm just like, well, could we use Kevlar gloves in, in sterile processing or when we, you know, clean and disinfect instrument, it's, it's like, well, you could, but there's still the risk of injury and exposure mm -hmm. because that outside layer is not puncture resistant. And you're still going to have an exposure potentially to fluids that contained biohazardous material. So the Kevlar glove itself think... is not fluid resistant. No. It's just like a cloth kind of. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Does and... that impact dexterity? Having yes. the. Yeah. So when we talk about Kevlar and we talk about utility gloves, a really good topic when we talk about pros and cons, if that's kind of how we want to look at it in the context of introducing those into the practice is, you know, the pros and cons pros, you know, when you look at your staff safety, you know, and taking that in consideration, and it really falls under the OSHA bloodborne pathogens and providing adequate PPE to protect your workers. And utility gloves do fall under that. And gloves in general fall under that. Um, but, you know, in the context of, do you introduce those into your workplace and make them available for your employees? The first thing I would say is yes. And then I would look at kind of your sharps injuries and see when they have occurred. You know, is it during your procedure or when you're cleaning up after a procedure or during the sterilization and decontamination process. And just really taking a hard look at that, or even when, you know, during other activities that you would have never thought that anything would have ever happened, but it did. And the, the other thing I wanted to mention with Kevlar gloves to circle back on that, I don't know if they come higher with a longer extended cuff on them. I never used extended cuff Kevlar gloves. They were all just kind of that, you know, short cuff cotton type of, you know, when you think of just regular gloves. So utility gloves, it is, they kind of give you what I would call ham hands or ham fingers. The manual dexterity is the challenge. Um, a lot of people don't like using them. When I think of dental instruments and anything else, you know, 
you're you're trying to handle something that's really delicate and small and you got this big old kind of one size fits all utility glove that you're trying to work with fine instruments and you know it, it could be a challenge at that point you just have mittens kind of that feels is, like it if you're not mittens. used to wearing them yeah if you're not <laughs> used to wearing them they can make you fumble just a little bit so i think you're making an excellent point the right tool for the right job right and i think if we're going to talk about utility gloves one question that i was because the listeners who attend regularly might know kate has not worked in the dental field and so the question i had when we came on is maybe what are the highest priority times that you would want your team in utility gloves because i think like utility gloves are like you're saying jody ham hands uh, that made me laugh really hard but you're, there's a cost benefit ratio and so if we were going to look at the highest risk time that we would definitely want to encourage the team to wear them that in my you tell us sarah number okay. one time number one time instrument processing anytime you're in the sterilization area so the whole time you're there, even when you're wrapping or more like when you're doing scrubbing. When you're any time that you could have the potential to pick up a sharp instrument. Okay. Very good. So, and then in this context, clean versus dirty as well, right? If you were moving from an ultrasonic cleaner, you would want to make sure by the time you got to wrapping of a clean instrument, you had clean utility gloves. So- that delineation is a little bit different in dentistry. So when things come out of the ultrasonic for us, they don't go into a disinfector. Okay. So they remain considered dirty up to the time they come out of the sterilizer. So all of packaging okay. is still considered dirty. Okay. And Very then good. we package with dirty gloves on, then they go into the autoclave. And then risk reduction in elimination of ham hands is worthwhile to point out that utility gloves come in different sizes. They do. Um, that was actually, one thing we were talking about. If yes. you have one pair for your entire yes. team, that's a problem. Well, so I want to point out something. OSHA actually requires employers to provide a pair for every employee. So that's a federal regulation right there. I also want everybody to know that there are dental manufacturers out there that make utility gloves down to the half size. Nice. So you can find them that will fit your hands. Right. So um, if you're having employees who are maybe a little resistant to using a utility glove, first question, do we have the right size? Exactly. You know, Let's make sure you're in the right size so that we can maximize any dexterity we're going to have in that glove. And when you say every employee, every employee who would be in an at-risk task. Yes. Yeah. That's a good clarification. So not, not every employee in the entire right. facility. Okay. Every employee yeah. whose job duties include those tasks that may put them at risk for an injury. So everyone should really have their own utility gloves that when they go to you to do sterilization and disinfection, they can get utility gloves for Jody or utility gloves for Kate. And yep, that's helpful. These are and my utility gloves. I will now use them. Then utility gloves don't last forever, 
right? I'm reading online that odor can be problematic, right? Yeah. So I see often, you know, we have that one pair that's stuffed behind the sink that nobody uses that are constantly wet. Right. Who would want to use them? Right. Kind of gross. Um, if you have that pair in your office right now, just go pitch them. Please, please just throw them away. <laughs> um, but what happens, I mean, we've all experienced it. When you wear gloves for a while, your hands sweat. Right. And it gets gross. Mm-hmm. Um, so utility gloves should be replaced regularly. If you, whatever brand you have, look at your manufacturer's instructions and they'll tell you. And I know there are also some brands out there that can be autoclaved. So at the end of the day, you can just run a load with all your gloves in it. And the next day they're all ready to go. So autoclaving, I think similar to any instrument we've talked about, making sure that bio burden is removed and things get dry appropriately. You know, I'm thinking the same things we would do with our laundry, right? We'll make sure it's clean before we try to hang it up, make sure it's dry so it doesn't get stinky. Um, the other question I had about utility gloves, um, we want to make sure, I think we wouldn't want utility gloves to give somebody a false sense of security, right? Will we, is it safe to say we would never blindly reach into an ultrasonic cleaner? Not even with utility gloves. Don't ever reach into an ultrasonic cleaner ever, ever. You never know what's sticking in there. Um, even though utility clubs are puncture resistant, they are not puncture proof. Right. So, you know, that one little needle burr that's sticking out of the basket at the bottom will definitely puncture some utility gloves. Right. So healthy habits yes. with PPE. I think another thing about the ham hands, if you're having trouble picking up, like, can you imagine trying to pick up a burr off of the counter? with ham hands, Mm. (laughs) having a pair of cotton pliers, tweezers there that just stay there is really helpful as well. So it's almost like you need to do uh, an assessment and extensive education with your staff. And then it's almost like you, it's like, it's kind of like a respiratory protection program. You have a glove kind of education and maintenance program. Um, cause Sarah, if you've taken me into places where, you know, they have an excellent glove maintenance program, it's like, you know, perfect. And then we've been to other places where they're rolled up soaking wet behind the sink faucet. And it's like, mm, you know, and the one size fits all type of thing. So it is, I think would be an extensive education program, not only on the maintenance, but giving the opportunity for staff to just kind of work with them, manipulate them, try them on in the context, do you need to go to different vendors and have them bring in some different brands, different styles, you know, just like anything else, like with hand hygiene projects, you know, get your staff input on some of that, because if you're going to expect them to wear it, you know, you want to have them have some input on it. One of the other questions I had, so in healthcare, as a nurse at the bedside, I never wore utility gloves or Kevlar gloves. And I certainly had the experience where I would um, clean up, you know, procedures at the bedside 
Um, and so this was a question I had because I read online that some organizations encourage use of utility gloves when I got the feeling when they were, you know, taking down a room, terminally cleaning. So in the way I grew up in healthcare, you would have practices where like you would only carry like all the sharps would be put on a tray and I can carry the tray, but I'm not picking up individual sharps or the person who uses the sharp is the person who's accountable to put the sharp into the sharp container and we're not cleaning up needles at the bedside. And so can we talk about, so I, I feel very confident with what you told me about use of utility gloves in instrument reprocessing. Can we talk about the use of utility gloves outside of instrument reprocessing in the dental environment? Sure, that's a great question. So like I said before, if you have a risk of injury from working with an instrument, that's when we want to wear utility gloves. And there are a lot of offices now that use cassettes and that's great. Um, the cassettes are little like metal boxes that lock, that hold all your instruments in there. So there's really not a risk of them rolling around or you know, you don't have to worry about picking them up when you're cleaning, you just pick up the whole cassette. Um, a lot of offices will just package loose instruments in a peel pouch. So like they have, you know, their restorative setup with all those instruments they need in that pouch. Then when they open it up to do the procedure, they lay them out in order. But then when you're cleaning, they're not locked away in a cassette. So they're just loose, sharp instruments on a tray or on the assistance cart or whatever that you'll be trying to gather and clean around. And that would be an instance where you would wanna wear utility gloves while you were cleaning. Okay, that makes sense. And the place where um, the instruments are, are set on a tray kind of in a neutral zone. So like we know where they all are, right? And that's one way that we eliminate sharps risk. Like we would say the counter is safe, right? I could go wipe down the counter without gloves, but that neutral space where we handed off the instruments, I always forget what we call that in the operatory. It is called the- The assistance cart. The assistance cart. There's another word you used for it. I call it a Mayo stand. Delivery unit. A delivery unit. Yeah. So we will put the sharps on the delivery unit. That would be another thing that if you're new or training somebody in the world, in the operatory, this will be a place that's higher risk. So if we're talking about, like you said, Jody, of like creating a risk assessment, I see like some of my number one risks are instrument reprocessing and then also clearing the delivery unit after a procedure that you could really kind of protocolize where your employees would encounter risk and where your expectation is that they would use those utility gloves, right? Yeah. I'll, I'll just throw in on that risk assessment too, that that's another requirement by OSHA that you do a risk assessment for your PPE and utility gloves are considered PPE. So they should be in there. Um, and I think Sarah had just shared an article this morning. I think sometimes like when we talk about OSHA and the level of requirements, it almost sounds negative, almost. But in our world, that is the most important worker safety advocacy program that exists for us. That as workers, we should be guaranteed to a safe workplace. And so these there are requirements that the practice should have to keep the workers. And that's a very good thing. 
right? Like I know when we talk about it, I never want people to think that we sound negative about it because you just shared an article this morning, Sarah, that um, a pretty hefty penalty was levied against a practice who did not appropriately respond to safety concerns of practitioners. And in some ways that's a victory. You hate that things have to come to that, but it is really important that we be safe in our jobs. I absolutely agree with you, Kate. So a risk assessment is where you identify a procedure that would have a certain risk, a procedure or process that would have a certain risk, and then you identify who is potentially at risk and what those mitigation strategies are. So if we're talking about utility gloves, our procedure could be instrument processing. The risk is a sharps injury, right? There's the potential for a poke. Who would be affected by that risk would be whoever whoever is responsible for instrument reprocessing in their job description. So assistant, hygiene, doctors that they help, whoever is helping with that. And then to mitigate that risk, we're going to not reach into the ultrasonic basket. We're going to wear utility gloves when we're handling sharps. Those would be our mitigation strategies. It really doesn't have to be super complicated. So what advice do we have? Because I've experienced this before for staff who just don't want to wear them. And I know we say re-education, but you know, that's probably some of the questions that are burning in people's minds. Like, well, we tried it, staff didn't want to wear them. So how do we handle that in the context of, you know, we made them available to the staff. So they choose not to wear them. What measures or what kind of process do we have internally to help mitigate that piece? Great question, Jody. Mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm a proponent of the audit, Jody. I think the first thing is, is to catch people in the moment mm -hmm. and find out what led them to make a choice, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what you're getting at, right? So if I'm doing, yep. if I'm watching reprocessing and identify that a team member's not wearing utility gloves, I that will be an awesome opportunity for me as a supervisor or lead to be like, hey, I'm concerned about you. Did you not... We should keep your hands safe from sharps injuries by wearing utility gloves. What barrier do you have to wearing the gloves? Did you not know? Um, do you, you know, and let them tell you they hate the smell. They don't fit me. Um, I feel like I am more unsafe in the gloves because they're giant or something like that. And I think in that case, most practices aren't enormous, but I think we really need to know that individual's story and talk to them about mm -hmm. how do we help them be successful? Is it size? Is it that we don't have clean ones and go from there? And then I think mm -hmm. later we would circle back when we address those things, you know, and we say, oh, I see you're not wearing utility gloves. I thought we had addressed it. You know, what did we miss? You know, what's not in place? So, and then it becomes an accountability issue after people have been offered the opportunity to voice their concerns. That's great, Kate. I think in addition to identifying those barriers, um, you always say, make it easy to do the right thing, right? Absolutely. Take that box of exam gloves out of your reprocessing area. Yeah. Because I think people are just, you know, you're programmed. I need a pair of gloves. I'm going to get in the box. And that's what they do. They totally forget there are utility gloves hanging on the wall there for use. 
Mm-hmm. Um, another option is I know they make like single use utility gloves that are in a box that are very similar to the exam gloves. So, you know, replace your box of gloves with those. Mm-hmm. And I think to the point you made earlier, Jody is very good for things like this. It really does take staff input to get mm-hmm. buy-in and, and for all the right reasons. Unfortunately, does it sometimes take an accident in order for these things to surface? Yeah, unfortunately, you know, when you get a an exposure, you know, your facility should have a, an entire process about what's going to happen afterwards. You know, are you going to go to a designated ER or are you going to go to an external facility to actually have a blood draw, you know, you need to have that spelled out kind of in your exposure control plan, what you're going to do, the sooner, the better, because we're talking about bloodborne pathogens, hepatitis B, hepatitis C, HIV, and time is of essence. So knowing that and knowing that, you know, I've, I've been exposed X, Y, and Z is, you know, sometimes those tests and results are immediate and sometimes they're going to be watching you for six months. So you have to think about life altering things in that six month period that, you know, you're probably not going to like because there's certain restrictions and some of the things that you're going to have to do in your personal life or should do that, you know, it's all because you've been exposed to a bloodborne pathogen at work. And let's say, you know, if you decided not to wear those gloves, then, then where's the liability and responsibility of it? I mean, there's so many different scenarios and variables that can come into it. But I think the biggest thing is, is I've learned in my profession is that waiting game, you know, and that monitoring process, you know, Unfortunately, it's, it's not fun. I don't think, you know, I've had to talk to individuals before that have just been exposed to, to urine and, you know, you can't see necessarily blood and urine all the time, but it's the same thing. There's some life altering things that that individual had to go through until they were absolutely cleared by employee health. Jody, I think is being really polite in her (laughs) telling of the story. I think we've all, like, I've heard um, there was a campaign at my previous employer where they talked, you know, really making people aware of the risk of bloodborne pathogen exposure. Mm-hmm. And they had a perioperative services nurse talking about um, an exposure where she had been, uh, had a puncture injury, had recently had surgery, so it was pretty high risk. And they found that the source patient um, was hepatitis positive. And mm-hmm. um, she was, really frank in her discussion. She's a person who's my age talking about, you know, my husband and I are talking about like, we haven't had to use birth control or worry about safe sex for, you know, decades. And now you're talking about a person who has to think about transmitting disease to their partner. And so Mm -hmm. that's a very personal, you know, reflection of a pretty high risk. And I think people um, forget about the risk and that's the painful waiting game you're talking about is, mm-hmm. is you're, you know, waiting for additional testing, 
you know, looking at kind of a prospective monitoring, um, you know, yeah, that's you, your partners have to be kind of involved in your risk assessment as well. And yes. I just want to add to that. We're talking about, you know, these stories of people that have had an exposure incident and we find the source patient and we test them. I want everyone out there to think about if you reached into the ultrasonic cleaner and you got an exposure, you got a poke mm -hmm. that has junk in it from every patient that you've seen since it was changed and probably ones before that. So you're not necessarily mm -hmm. going to be able to identify a source patient to get them tested. Right. Yep. Wow. You guys are a bunch of Debbie Downers over here. <laughs> Unfortunately, we've experienced reality and that is the reality of an exposure. So that's why, that's why when Sarah's like, Hey, let's talk about utility gloves. And I'm like, awesome. You know, cause there's awesome. risk, there's risk, you know, you just, you get into your daily grind, you get into use, you know, and nothing usually happens unless something really fun happens and gross that you've never seen before. And you remember that otherwise your everyday, you know, ins and out, you just don't really think about it. You're kind of mm -hmm. on autopilot until something happens. And well, this is that something happens that we're trying to avoid by using the proper PPE in certain situations that you could be exposed to and at risk for. And I think the idea that comfortable solutions are readily available. I think that's a really yes. important take home message of if you're working in a practice and you think your only solution is the very large stinky pair of utility gloves that's in the reprocessing area, it, you know, and a lot of people stay in their practice for a very long time. I think it's important that there are inexpensive, reliable alternatives to that that can make this, you know, a much easier solution. And I think that that would be the take home message I would most like to encourage. Mm -hmm. That's a great take home message, Kate. Thank you. Yeah. Well, like I said at the beginning, it was going to be a riveting conversation about <laughs> gloves. And I know when I get with my friends this weekend, it's going to be, it's going to come up again. I'm going to have all kinds of different points. And we haven't even talked about the, the new seasonal colors coming out with the new models. We haven't. Fun we colors haven't. are the best. Yeah. They make your day a little bit brighter. They do. Thanks everyone. You know, it, it's, uh, you go on these and, and you have a lot of questions to start with. And at the end, you have more questions. So, you know, I view that as a successful uh, uh, review today. So thanks to everyone for your contributions and your horror stories and your uh, bringing us all back to reality and understanding the risks associated. Thanks, Dr. Hankins, Kate, Jody, Sarah, and my name's Dan. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for spending time with us learning about infection prevention and control in the dental setting. If you have questions you would like the team to chat about, feel free to call our ICAP Infection Control Hotline at 402-552-2881 or visit our website at icap.nebraskamed.com. Look for our next Mouthy IP podcast episode and don't forget to stay chatty about infection control in your office.